Tonight's episode of the Behind the Diamond podcast is brought to you by McRae's Tavern. CEO Scott McRae is opening his newest location in the East Cobb area shortly and will have one of the most popular dining restaurants in the area. Equipped with everything you need for a great night out, McRae's Tavern is a fun spot for all ages. Great atmosphere, great wings, and a great time. McRae's Tavern is also now hiring, so go fill out an application and tell them Evan Kroll sent you. We are also brought to you by the Walton Sports Media Club. We had a piece go up this week examining whether or not high school sports would happen ahead of the GHSA meeting on Monday. And as we now all know, high school sports will be returning September 14th, something that I know we can all get behind and are now looking forward to. Tonight, we're going to bring on Coach Chris Romano, strength and conditioning coach at Walton, among many other things. I'm really looking forward to it. Coach Chris is a really high-level guy. Very interesting and very informed on the world around us, and one of my really good friends in the Walton community. So, without any further ado, let's go. Coach Chris is here. He's witnessing a historic moment for the first time ever. I, Evan Kroll, am leading the podcast because Coach Bruner and Coach Abney decided they had better things to do. But that's all right. Me and Coach Chris, we're just going to kick it here, talk some sports. Coach Chris, how have you been? Been pretty good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, anything going on with your kids' baseball at all or anything that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, we had a pretty good weekend of uh, 6U baseball. All right. More- uh, we got second place in the tournament this weekend. Nice, nice. Uh, All right, let's got- just hop right into it. Let's hop right into it. GHSA comes out today. They had a meeting. Robin Hines consulted with his committee, and they decided that they are going to play high school sports, high school football, full 10-week season, full five-week playoffs, only catches postponed to September 14th. But I feel like keeping the season – um, and just postponing it a month, I think that's a pretty good deal. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think so. Um, yeah, I'm just glad that we get a season. You know, the, the kids work hard for it. It's important to them. Um, you know, and, and not just our kids, but like the kids around the state. You know, sports are more than just a game to a lot of them. And it, you know, it, um, you know, it helps them get better grades. It helps push kids in school. It helps keep kids in school. Um, you know, I mean, think about how many kids wouldn't go to college if they didn't have the opportunity for, for a sports scholarship. Right. Yeah. So I think it was really important to make sure that the season was saved and having the full season and playoffs. I mean, that's, that's obviously, that's the ideal thing that we want. And, um, I'm glad, glad that GHSA saw it that way. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I felt like the conversation got more amplified when it came out that we were only going to virtual school, but I felt that kind of almost answered our question. And that's kind of what motivated me to write the piece I just wrote about whether or not we're gonna have sports and just looking at it from an objective point of view, because I feel like you're limiting exposure. They're not around 3000 kids. So you can sign a waiver or whatever. So you're not gonna come in contact with other people. You're just gonna do school and practice, whatever that may be. And I feel like the only thing fueling it was old timers saying 
hey, if you're going to do school, if you're not going to do school, then you can't do sports. And I thought that was really interesting to see the whole community um, pick sides. And I'm glad that the GHSA didn't let uh, a tradition that isn't even really a tradition uh, affect their decision. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's important too, because, you know, we're not shutting the state down again. At least, you know, I, I don't anticipate that happening. Um, you've got travel baseball happening. You've got AAU basketball, uh, club lacrosse is playing, club soccer is playing. So sports are going on, right? So I don't see any value really in canceling the high school sports when they're just going to go elsewhere, right? And, you know, the, the club sports and travel sports and stuff, they don't have a governing body, you know, setting rules, right? For example, at Lee's tournament this weekend, you know, for the championship game, there there's probably 200 people in the stands, right? Not social distancing. Um, you know, I think I saw maybe like two masks the whole time. Fortunately, I was on the, you know, on the field with him. So, you know, I was, I was able to distance, but, you know, it's not happening. And I, I think with the schools, they're going to be able to set rules and, and protocols in place to, you know, to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like now that they gave us a season, you know, they gave us the opportunity to not canceling it. The ball is kind of in our court um, to be responsible with it. And you've seen a lot of programs already not be able to be responsible with it. Clemson University had 37 football players test positive. And on the flip side of that, you had the NBA bubble this weekend where they tested and no one has it. So I think depending on where you are, the maturity of everyone involved is going to play a big deal in whether or not we can have a sports season. And you're one of those people that's involved in the maturity. And I would say you're the guy for Walton, maybe aside from Bruner working with him, to ensure that all of our players, they stay, they don't get COVID while they're there. So can you walk me through these past five weeks in the weight room on the field and what you guys have been doing and how different it looks like? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think first of all, just the way that the setup is at Walton, um, you know, we're lucky and fortunate to have that courtyard area right outside the weight room doors. Um, you know, studies that I looked at and read, um, you know, and some doctors that I talked to and stuff said, you know, everything is said that being outside is a lot safer than being inside as far as the spread goes. Um, you know, obviously it's easier to social distance and stuff outside as well, but you have, you know, you have the open air and stuff. Um, so the majority of what we're doing has been outside. We basically moved the entire weight room outside of the squat racks and the, and the, the hypers outside. Um, you know, so we've got everything broken down into smaller groups. The, um, you know, we'll have say right now, like, you know, varsity will practice and then they'll come up to the weight room and I split them up into two groups. And, you know, we have about 12 kids going inside and then everybody else works out outside. And I've got it all on a timer, which is, is new for us. And basically at the 15 minute mark, the group that's inside or inside comes outside and then the next group goes inside. Um, yeah, so everybody's working out at the same time, right? There's some of them are working out starting at the bottom of the workout, you know, for example, um, you know, while the other group, the first group is inside doing their back squats or their bench. Um, and then we have generally another group down on the field doing their conditioning work and speed work. Um, 
you know, so it's different because normally the defense lifts together, the offense lifts together, um, and then the freshmen would lift together. I would assume that the workouts couldn't look the same, though, because I feel like this time during the regular year, barring no COVID, 2020 is definitely not a regular year, is is your time. This is the time to get stronger. This is the time to get ready for the season. Because once you get there, I feel like it's a lot about maintaining and recovery. Right. What do your workouts look like with three months off and you're just five weeks in? So all of my programming is, is it's basically, I, I use periodization, right? So every sport has their, their season. And within the season, every sport has their main part of the season where they want to peak. And then, you know, you've got your non-region play that doesn't really count towards, um, you know, standings and stuff. You've got your preseason, you've got your offseason, and then you've got your postseason. So, you know, you said like three months out, three months out, we're still in, in offseason mode, um, which is where we're going to build strength and hypertrophy. Hypertrophy being, you know, add muscle size. Um, where a lot of that was taken away from us. That time was taken away from us and, and the kids were on their own. Um, you know, we were, I was sending out, you know, three or four home workouts a week that were just body weight, but you're not going to build muscle mass. And you're not going to build strength through body weight movements. Um, you know, that's just basically to preserve our, our speed and our power and our strength as best as we can without any equipment. Um, you know, so we didn't really get that off season portion of, of, of the, of the calendar as far as training goes. Um, yeah, so the extra two weeks now that we have built in, uh, that's gonna really help because now instead of, you know, being only a few weeks out from starting the season as a strength and conditioning program, we just got two extra weeks. Mm-hmm. So that means our kids can be even that much more ready for the season. Um, and I think, you know, that's gonna help a lot of schools. Um, from what I've seen um, and data that I've collected from, from our kids, um, especially through like the loop bands and stuff that we've been using our kids were for the most part with football, at least they were active over the quarantine. Um, you know, I mean, every day, you know, several different kids would reach out to me, ask, you know, Hey, you know, I'm going to the, I'm going to so-and-so's house to lift today. You know, what should I do? You know, or, you know, here's what I did yesterday. You know, what, you know, my legs are sore today. What should I do? So I feel like our kids are pretty well committed and, um, you know, kept active. And I was noticing that when, when we started back with week one, um, back, what was that? Like June, June 12th or whatever that was. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't really have any issues of anybody not being able to finish a workout. Um, I think, I think, you know, we had one athlete that had to sit out for a couple sets, but everybody finished the workout. I think the key word you used right there is active and there's a difference between active and strain. And I see a lot of these coaches on Twitter that are in your position, just not at the school and they're straining their athletes and you look at it and you go, maybe that's a good exercise for if you've been doing high intensity training since April. And I feel like a lot of people are supporting it because the times look good and the results look good. But I think once you get to the season, 
the fact that they took three months off and they just hopped into high intensity workouts without getting acclimated is actually going to hurt them. Can you speak on how that may hurt them if they're just jumping into it right now? Sure. Uh, I mean, if you, if you just jump into something and, and you haven't been active, your, your muscles aren't going to be ready to take on strain, right? Your ligaments and tendons aren't going to be ready to take on load. So I, I mean, everybody in the sports science world is expecting a much higher rate of, you know, like hamstring tears, ACL ruptures um, and stuff like that from non-contact issues. You know, think about the amount of force that is applied when, you know, say a wide receiver goes to make a 90 degree cut running his route. He's going full speed. He's got to plan on one foot and change direction, you know? And so, you know, that, that athlete might weigh 200 pounds, but there's a lot more with, you know, with the movement, there's a lot more than 200 pounds of force being applied and, in, you know, into that turn. And that's where you're going to see some, you know, that type of situations where you're going to see some injuries. Um, yeah, so we took the approach uh, based off of guide, you know, guidance from the NSCA, and um, you know, knowing our athletes and and how they are, you know, we we backed everything down um, and followed those guidelines pretty much to a T. Um, our athletes were, you know, a little bit better prepared than what I think across the country athletes were, so we were able to step it up a little bit quicker. Um, but even this week, we're, you know, I still don't have them programmed at 100%. And, you know, we're several weeks in now at this point. So I feel like this is super time sensitive is what you're saying. And I think that's what we're getting into if anyone is monitoring what's happening with the NFL is they're trying to jump in um, without training camps. And it's a big issue. And all around the sports world, people are trying to just jump back into these seasons and uh they don't understand like what it's like to actually play like when you're out there the wear and tear your body takes and just to hop into it like you said like the hamstring tears and the acl tears you're going to see a lot more of them and then on the flip side if you come back and you live too much with the strain like i said at one at some point your body's just going to break down right right and you know, I, I'm really big into the science side of, of uh, you know, training and stuff. And there was a study done back after the, the most recent NFL walkout. Mm-hmm. And the study, you know, I'm just going off the top of my head. I haven't actually looked at it in the last couple of months. But um, I, believe, I believe it that there were an average of, it was, I think it was an average of like seven Achilles ruptures per NFL season, right? That's... Mm-hmm or the calendar year for an NFL season, mm-hmm. seven ruptures over the whole week, mm-hmm. right? And there was like three times that this season of the walkout in the first month back. Right. right? Um, and, those are, and those are the, you know, supposedly the elite of the elite athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, that was during a lockout. That wasn't during a quarantine. Gyms were open. People were able to go out and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you still had a, a, you know, my numbers are probably off on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, still had a significant mm-hmm. difference in, you know, in an increase in, in injuries. And that was just looking at ACLs only. Right. Well, when you're doing this again, you've got to be smart because there are the people in favor for the season saying these senior kids, they're going to lose the scholarships. 
right. if they don't play. But if you hop into it too quick and you do play, they're going to lose their senior season too because they're going to get hurt and then they're still left offer offerless. So I really agree with what the GHSA did just from the standpoint of we need to give our athletes more time. And I think that's the sentiment they had. I don't think in a month that the COVID protocols are going to be any different than they are now. Maybe, right. but I still think you're going to see people wearing masks. I still think you're going to see it be a problem. I think we're still going to be in virtual school. So I think it's more about ensuring player safety, making sure we get back with no injury. And I, that you see that across all the leagues. And, you know, they're, they're you know, backing it up to September. Temperatures, you know, should be a little bit cooler as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and the heat is a, is a big factor with returning to play as well. Um, you know, because if you're sitting inside, you know, playing Xbox in the air conditioning for three months, and then suddenly now you're out, you know, a few weeks later in August heat, you know, that's obviously going to take another strain on your body. Right. Uh, I mean, just, you know, for example, like today, I can't work out because I, mm -hmm. you know, nine weeks out of shoulder surgery, you know, we're tracking athlete strain on, on our whoop bands and mm -hmm. I'm wearing, and out of the 21 scale, just from coaching today, I'm at like a 16. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and it was, it was a hundred degrees out today. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you could just see just from that, what the heat alone does, you know, and add, you know, athletic activity on top of that, mm -hmm. your, your, your body's going to be under a, a ton of strain. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the whoop band for a second. Cause I keep hearing about it in podcasts. I keep seeing you tweet about it and I'm kind of done not understanding what it is. I want to know what it is. My dad's got one coming in the mail tomorrow. So you convinced him already. Convince me. What does the Whoop do that's so much better than a Fitbit or an Apple Watch? Well, it, it tracks different data. And so like your your Apple Watch and your Fitbit, they're great. They're great for you know, you're just general public. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a there's a big difference in the data that an athlete mm -hmm. uses versus versus what, you know, just you know, an everyday person uses. Right. So your Fitbit, your, your Apple Watch and stuff like that, it's going to track steps. It's going to track calories burnt. Um, you know, some of them track sleep, some of them track heart rate, mm -hmm. but it's not going to actually track your, your strain. And so from a sports science standpoint, the, the data that I want to know on my athletes is mm -hmm. how is their body, mm -hmm. right? I don't care how many steps they take in a day. Right. They're, they're taking well over 10,000 steps mm -hmm. just practice, right? So the the whoop band it it measures it measures their their heart rate it measures their hrv it measures mm -hmm. their um resting heart rate and mm -hmm. rest and so it's got an algorithm where it'll combine everything together mm -hmm. and it'll give you your strain values and your recovery values so for example um we had some lacrosse players that play football that were out of town over the weekend um you know playing I think they were in, in Maryland or Delaware and I was able to monitor their strain from my iPad while they were out of town. So I kind of knew what their activity levels were over the weekend. So when they come into the weight room and they've played, you know, four or five lacrosse games over the weekend, I already know that they're not recovered because mm -hmm. I see that they're at a, you know, a 34% recovery rate this morning, mm -hmm. you know, by the time they get to the, you know, to practice, they're not fully recovered from the tournament. And so if we're going heavy that day, like, you know, today, 
I'm not going to have them, you know, go 85% for, you know, two sets of five, right? Back them down a little bit based on their, based on their strain levels. And I think that's a really big misconception in sports. I think the one thing people know is, yeah, I'm not going to go 315 for reps on a back squat after I just played a football game. But I think that what people think is these football players, these basketball players, these softball players, whatever you are, you get into the weight room and you just like kill it. And you're like straining so hard. And that goes back to what we were saying before. Like that's not healthy. Right. And I mean, you know, and I used to be an athlete, you know, so I understand like, you know, there's pride involved. You don't want to tell your coach when you're tired. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the whoop band, you know, and and I I don't, I don't share the data with anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. Whoop band just, it gives me objective data on the athletes. So I know when they're tired, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't have to ask them, you know, Hey, you know, you just got done with an hour of football practice and I know you played, you know, five tournament games over the weekend, you know, how, how tired are you? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I can see how tired they are. And so read- from, from a, a, both a safety and a productive standpoint, we're not going to waste time in the weight room. Right. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. Weight room time is limited. Like, you know, I, I don't have a limited time with everybody. So, you know, if, if a kid comes in and they're, and they're fully strained, I'm going to back them down. And instead of doing, you know, maybe, you know, their last set of back squats are supposed to be at, you know, at three plus at 90%. Well, that I already know if they're on a high strain level and a low recovery level, today's 90% is not going to be their 90% from when they, they last tested. Right. So maybe we're going to go to 83% today for that set as opposed to 90%. I read right. another cool story about how on the PGA tour, they gave them to golfers and it like measured their respiration rate right. or something like that to see if they had COVID. I don't really know what that means. Can you, do you have any idea what that yeah. means at all? It, 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 respiratory rate is going to be how many times you, you take a breath in per minute. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, what they're saying is, is, you know, COVID is, is a virus that attacks your lungs. Right. So if your lungs aren't at full capacity, you're not taking in as much air per breath. Your body still needs that oxygen. So you're going to, you're going to take more breaths in per minute. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, honestly, first thing I do when I wake up, you know, being in a position where I'm around almost all of the fall athletes at, at Walton, I want to make sure that I don't, you know, I don't have COVID because then that's going to expose them to it. Um, first thing I do, I, I, I look at my phone and I go to the respiratory rate mm-hmm. to make sure that it hasn't spiked because the data that, that they did, they, they have a peer reviewed study um, that, that is out there on the WHOOP website. Um, and it was 17% increase. If you if if you had a 17% increase in your respiratory rate, then I believe it was like an you have an 80% chance accuracy of having COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So if I see that spike, then I know okay, you know what I I can't go in today. I need to go get tested. Right. Um, and so the PGA is using using it for that. Um, I know the University of Tennessee is also like they announced last week that they're doing it as well. Mm-hmm. So well, that's not the original reason that I've got some Walton athletes using it, 
you know, it was more for the sports performance. Well, it was all for the, the, uh, the data tracking for the sports performance side. Mm -hmm. That's a really beneficial benefit to have for it. Um, you know, and now that gives non-athletes a reason to get the whoop. You know, you're, if you're not competing in a sport, you don't need your, you know, you don't necessarily need your strain data, you know, or your recovery rate, but having that respiratory value, you know, is, is a, is a key sign because they say that that would increase before you'd actually show symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yep. University of Tennessee announced last week, all fall sport athletes are mandated to wear the whoop band. I think that's really cool. I don't think they're going to be the last school to use it. Although I'm not entirely sure about your undergrad Clemson. I think it might be too late for them, but you right. never know. Maybe with them, they're trying to get it. So they're they, good yeah, for the they, season. They do, they do have some, they, they use a catapult. Um, okay, okay. I don't think it has a respiratory rate, but it tracks very similar data to the rest of it. Right. All right. I want to talk about another thing. So you have me, right? A physical specimen. I'm an athlete. You can't get around it. And then there's someone maybe like, I don't know, you and just regular run of the mill guy, you know, and I'm throwing up 315 on the bench. I'm a star football player, whatever, and you're just a regular guy. What's the difference between you and me? What's the difference between a regular guy and an athlete? Goals. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if my goal as a regular guy is I just want to be fit, you know, say mm -hmm. general people, you know, the most common thing that people go to a gym for is to lose weight, mm -hmm. right? Other, you know, the, the next most is that they, you know, they want to, they want to look stronger. They want to, you know, add more muscle. Mm -hmm. So their training would look very, very different than, you know, say a star football player mm -hmm. for sports the you know, your, your position that, you know, has, has, has a big role in the play in how you're going to optimally train mm -hmm. and your sport does too, where, you know, if, if you're just going to the gym, let's, let's say, you know, take me for example, with my shoulder injury, I, I gained about 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, now I want to, you know, I want, obviously I want to lose that weight. So I'm going to do a lot, you know, I can't, I can't lift right now because my shoulder's not healed. What I can do is I can run. And while I know to lose weight and to, to burn fat, going out for a long aerobic run is not the optimal way to do it. It's going to do more than sitting at home playing Xbox with Lee. Right. Right. So I'll go do that. Where an athlete, you know, going out for that, you know, three mile run, if they're in most team sports that are anaerobic, like state football, that's going to be detrimental to their play on the field. Right. right. A football player, there's, there's absolutely no reason um, athletically for a football player to go out and run a couple miles. Mm -hmm. now, if they do it as a, as, as an interval, right where they're gonna you know sprint for 10 seconds and then jog for you know a minute and a half and then sprint 10 seconds you know that's a different story but just to go out for a steady state you know hey i'm gonna go run three miles today for most athletes that's going to be detrimental because it's going to work against your strength and, and against your power right and i feel like a lot of that comes out of good nature like oh coach i want to work i want to get better and that comes from a really good place Sure. But at the same time, a lot of people don't realize, like, you're hurting yourself. Um, 
by doing all these other things that aren't going to pertain to you. Like, a, like, like you said, like football players, I need to run 10 miles because you're running max like maybe 30 yards on a play. So there's no reason for you to be a long distance runner unless you're a cross country runner. Right. And I mean, there's, there's so much science that goes into, you know, how to train for a specific position in a specific sport. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take, if you take a football player, all right, the average, and from studies that I've seen, the average one way starting football player mm-hmm. plays less than five minutes a game of action. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's five minutes of action per game. Well, you've got a play clock, you've got timeouts, you've got, um, you know, if you're an offensive player, you're on the sideline when defense is in, um, you know, there's a ton of rest time in there. So your body's not going to go into the aerobic state in just about every scenario conceivable in football. Like football, mm-hmm. the study show is a 95% anaerobic sport and 5% aerobic. Mm-hmm. Right? If you think about the longest play possible in a high school football game, right? Kick off, you know, the, the, they, they catch the ball right in front of the end zone and they run it back for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Right? you know, that play is probably going to take about 12 to 13 seconds because you're not the, the return isn't going to be in a straight line, right? It's going to have to right. zig through players, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to get held up at some point, you know, but, you know, maybe if it's a, you know, really slow play, it's going to take 15 seconds. Right. You're not even close to hitting that 90 second mark where, where you kind of, you know, shift over to the aerobic, mm-hmm. you know, system. Um, you know, so training that there's really no, there's not much value in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why it's really important, like for, you know, a football player to not go out and run those miles where, you know, cross country, that's, that's their sport. Mm-hmm. That's what right. A swimmer, they have to be aerobic, you know, so you've got to factor in what you're going to do in the gym or what you're going to do at home for extra work based on how your sport actually is. Right. And that's the difference between, being a regular person and being an athlete, not being an athlete, I don't really have to worry about what muscles I train in a sense um, because I, no one's going to ask me to make a 40-yard catch. No one's going to ask me to shoot a deep three or drive to the paint or hit a home run. No one's asking me to do those things. So when I go, you just got to focus about doing every rep. And that kind of leads in to what I'm going to say next. Um, and I'm going to let you clear up your name and maybe your Twitter mentions a little bit. Okay. Clear your name with CrossFit. Tell me why you're not a CrossFit hater, okay? I am not a CrossFit hater. Um, I am a CrossFit hater for athletes. Right. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't tell a lot of people, but I actually did used to own a CrossFit affiliate. Mm-hmm. Um, CrossFit is a great way to lose weight. Mm-hmm. It's not the ideal way to lose weight. Right. There are much more efficient ways to do it. So, you know, for example, let's say, you know, I don't want to call anybody out. Let's just, let's just say someone that I'm friends with comes to me and says, Hey, you know, you understand training. Can you write me a workout you know, program so I can lose 20 pounds? Mm-hmm. I can, you know, that's not what I do, mm-hmm. but I can do that. I'm capable of it. Um, you know, but what I write it's going to be the, you know, the most optimal way to do it. It's not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's going to, it's going to be very monotonous. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be basically doing interval sprints and, you know, squats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to going and doing a different workout with different exercises every day. 
mm-hmm. right? Competing, you know, choosing to compete with other people. Right. Right. Um, but this is where the science part comes in. You're, and, and I don't want to get, um, you know, too like geeked out with this, but mm-hmm. you know, you've got three energy systems that your body mm-hmm. works off of. You've got your creatine phosphogen, you've got glycolic, which is sugar, and you've got aerobic. Mm-hmm. Right. And at a full max out sprint, your glycol or your, your creatine phosphogen system is going to be depleted. Mm-hmm. Right. So for example, what I mean by that is let's say you're running a hundred yard dash for, for track. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if you go all out for 10 seconds, mm-hmm. you're not going to have anything left of that system. And that's mm-hmm. your power. All right? right. If you go all out for 90 seconds, then you're, most people would be completely depleted of their glycolic system and mm-hmm. their aerobic system is going to be the primary energy source, which mm-hmm. in theory can go on exponentially. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, it doesn't really matter what energy system you're using, right? Mm-hmm. Because you might not be doing the best way to lose the weight, the fastest, but whatever you're doing is going to help you lose weight, mm-hmm. right? So in that aspect, you know, CrossFit is, is good weight loss um but not for athletes because they train randomly right today you might today's workout you might just do five sets five back squat mm-hmm. right you might just um go for a 5k run mm-hmm. right but if those don't those don't necessarily translate to performance in your sport mm-hmm. it's working against your sport right um uh, and that's and that's that's the big issue with it and you kind of alluded to it right there. When I go to the gym and my goal is to get fit, anything that I do is going to help me at least take a step closer to getting fit. If I'm scheduled to have a 45 minute workout and I do 10 burpees, well, I didn't get all the way there, but those 10 burpees, although however small it may be, is gonna help me get there. If an athlete has a workout, and it's a 45 minute workout and they do 10 burpees, not only did they not step to their goal, but they actually failed because you're letting other people down because this is just what's expected of you. So when you get there, you're not even going above and beyond. You know, if my goal is to get a six pack and I, I, and I get it, I went above and beyond because not only did I set the goal and go and do it every day, I got it. If your goal is to play football, you just met it. Right. And I think that's the great thing about athletes. And that's why I love talking about them is because I'm a regular person. So I can see how it could come across as offensive. It's like, Oh, whatever, whatever they do is failing, but you're holding me to a lower standard. No, like the crazy thing about athletes is they're held to so high of a standard that they can literally fail for not doing a high intensity workout. And that doesn't only affect them. It affects every single person around them. I, I heard, I heard another strength coach um, at, at the professional level made a comment, he, you know, and you know, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but he said, any fool can make somebody sweat and burn calories, mm-hmm. but any fool can't make somebody a better pitcher. Right. You know, so that's the difference. You know, CrossFit's random. You're going to get, you know, random results with that. Well, random results for somebody trying to lose weight 
it's still going to probably burn calories and help you lose weight and get, you know, mm-hmm. eventually get to your goal. But random results aren't going to help you be a better football player or a better basketball player. Mm-hmm. So any fool can't help you be a better pitcher. Somehow you ended up as the JV pitching coach. So I don't know if that goes against that statement or whatever. Make your case to me for why you think it's appropriate they hired you to be the JV pitching coach because I guess you're coach a football and basketball guy. That's what you train. What's going on with this? Yeah, um, you know, I, well, I, I used to be a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, from I, – I, I've studied biomechanics a lot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, pitching really comes down to biomechanics. Mm-hmm. You know, um, preserving a pitcher's arm, helping them throw harder, helping them, you know, to get more velocity on the ball, that can all be done through biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think looking at it from that standpoint, that's, that's very helpful. Um, one of the, one of the MLB clubs that I've actually gotten to work with there, they have a position. They're the only club that has it of a scout who is on their sports performance staff. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, he's, he's got a background in biomechanics and, and physiology and stuff, and he's out there scouting who they're going to draft. Mm-hmm. based on you know what he sees as their longevity and the projection for their career just based on their their mechanics that makes sense um so when you're out there helping are you focusing on like arm angles to help with break to help with a healthy arm what are you looking at when you're saying biomechanics with these pitchers what does it come down to um i mean it, well it comes down to you know in the end, how, how long are they going to be able to go without getting hurt? Mm-hmm. Right. Because, and I don't mean in one game, I mean, over the course of their, you know, their baseball career. Right. right. Um, I mean, that's the number one thing I look at, at a pitcher, you know, I'm looking at their, at their shoulder and their elbows to start, mm-hmm. you know, what, what kind of angles are, are their elbows at, you know, how much strain does their delivery look like it's putting on their shoulders? Right. And from there, then, you know, I'll look at the hips and, 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 you know, the knees and, and ankles and stuff, because a lot of stuff you can clean up on a pitcher just from like their landing. Mm-hmm. Right. I look, I look for wasted motion. Um, you know, over the course of a game, a starting pitcher can save themselves a lot of fatigue just by cleaning up wasted motion in, in, in their, in their delivery. Mm-hmm. You know, wasted motion, meaning, you know, maybe, they're going to start with their setup on the left side of the rubber, but by the time they actually go into their stride, they're, they've gone to the right side of the rubber and then their foot's already slid back over to the left side. Mm-hmm. Sure. For one pitch, that doesn't look like it's much. It's, you know, the foot's moving maybe an inch or maybe two inches at most, but over the course of the game, when you're throwing, you know, 70, 80 pitches, that adds up. Mm-hmm. You know, if a pitcher's throwing across their body, they're having to work a lot harder than a pitcher who's, you know, pretty much squared up when they make their delivery, you know? And so a lot of that goes into how successful they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So when a pitcher blows out his arm in the majors and he comes back is a lot of what that is. Cause I, you see these guys come back and it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes they never come back. Sometimes they do and they can throw even harder. For those specific guys, is it about 
focusing up on the biomechanics, cutting down the wasted movement to get to where, even though I blew out this arm, I can actually become a better pitcher because of what happened. It could be, um, you know, because I mean, when you get, when you get suffer a major injury and you're out for a while, you know, you're going to, you're going to have time to analyze stuff. You're going to have time to look at, okay, why did I get hurt? What caused the injury? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but also when you go through the physical therapy and the rehab of it, they're going to be strengthening the muscles that, you know, they're going to strengthen the area that got hurt and everything around it. So your, your body is going to be in a, in a more stable, you know, hopefully in a more stable position mm -hmm. when you return. Mm -hmm. For all that didn't know, if you couldn't see by coach Chris's Twitter feed, he is, probably the biggest, maybe the second biggest to his son uh, of the most disappointed people on the planet, the MLB season was delayed. But you've only got three more days, Coach Chris, so we're hanging in there. All right, one thing I find really interesting um, is just your journey here. And I think it echoes something that a lot of us can take from is you're never satisfied with where you're at and you're always looking to improve, even if you don't necessarily have to. So I wanna start with your education. So you undergrad at Clemson and what was your first sign that you wanted to get into what you do? Um, you know, I was, I was, I was at a um, independent league baseball team uh, workout, trying to make the team in Houma, Louisiana. And I, while I was down there, I got invited to go to a, a workout with the Yankees minor league team at the time it was in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. So I threw a bunch of pitches in the morning in Homa and then went up to the, to the Yankees workout and I was on the mound pitching and my arm started hurting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this, the, the scout was there and I, I told him, I said, look, I, I threw, I threw a ton of pitches this morning. My arm's starting to get really sore. And he, and he said, he said, son, we're the New York Yankees. If you want us to consider you as a pitcher in our system, you need to keep throwing. I blew my elbow that day. That was the last time I pitched off the mound. Um, and what it came down to was over the course of, you know, from, from middle school on, I had a, I had a bullpen in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, on days that I didn't have baseball practice, you know, throughout the, throughout the year, I was out there pitching, right? You know, I, I it was my arm was way overused, mm -hmm. and you know I even saw a decrease. You know, through college, I saw a decrease in my velocity, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. You know, and because you know, sports sports performance wasn't really a career back then. Um, mm -hmm. I'm older than a lot of people probably know. Um, you know, but as as it as it started becoming a thing, I was kind of like, you know what, if if I had someone like that back when I was in middle school, you know, explaining stuff to me, you know, I probably wouldn't have gotten hurt. Or at least at that time, I wouldn't have gotten hurt. You know, maybe I would have had a chance to, to you know, to play, you know, rookie ball or, or something like that. Um, you know, but I didn't. And, you know, the season before that, I blew my knee out. It was another overuse injury. Um, you know, so being able to help prevent injuries like that, um, 
you know, is, is, is kind of why I wanted to get into sports. And at the time too, you know, I had a desk job and I was sitting in a cubicle and I was absolutely miserable. Um, you know, every chance I got, I was, you know, you know, if we had a, a three hour break in between meetings or something, which would happen sometimes, I'd run, I'd run downstairs to the gym in the building and get a workout in. Um, you know, so I just wanted to be back in, in that kind of setting. I think part of the job that you have that a lot of people don't understand is how truly complex it can be. And it's kind of seeping through a little bit, but I told Coach Chris to dumb it down a little bit for everyone listening. If you have never met him, the stuff that he does in school is insane. He takes these things called jam terms, which is like a whole semester's worth in a month. And he'll try to tell me about it, and I don't understand anything. What has pursuing higher education besides a bachelor's degree done for you and done for your career? And why did you feel that you had to do it? Um, you know, it, it really helped me with the science. Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm almost finished with the master's degree. Um, I've got one more semester with it, with it left and it's actually, a, it's a full semester. Um, but it's really opened up like the science side. Cause I mean, I've been, I've been doing this for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, coaching and I mean, anything in like athletic performance, you're, you're always learning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but all the, all the coaches that I respected in, in my profession, they all had, had master's degrees. Um, you know, I, at one point recently, you know, my goal was to, to get a full-time job, you know, in professional baseball as a strength coach. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was one, you know, that's one thing that almost every one of them have, right. You know, at least if you want to eventually get up to the higher levels of, of the minor leagues with that, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so I started, I started, I started the master's program, um, you know, for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly going into it, I, I, you know, I was like, I've been doing this, you know, for a long time, you know, I've been very successful at it and I've had great results. You know, I don't know how much I'm really going to get out of it. And honestly, it was, you know, I've changed as a coach over the mm -hmm. course. Of um, right. You know, and, and now, you know, everything that I do, everything that I program for our athletes, it, it's all science-based. Mm -hmm. so I spend a couple hours a day, you know, almost every day on Google Scholar and PubMed reading research, paper, you know, peer-reviewed research papers on, you know, different training methods, different lifts, you know, different sports and how those lifts are going to, you know, apply or not apply. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and nutrition as well. Like I, I've been a nutrition, a sports nutritionist for several years now, um, you know, but I'm still reading the research on that. And a lot of that has, you know, I've learned to read that a lot of it due to the, due to the grad school program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've, I guess I'd say, you know, now I focus more on the sports science Mm -hmm. on you know just you know the the gym and, and and weight room type stuff the nutrition thing is insane to me i've tried to get into it a little bit there's no way i could get into it as far as you do but you know i've been trying to cut down my swimsuit season's a little bit later than most i go to the beach in december so i've been trying to look at it and the more you look at it the more you realize the people that are trying to cheat 
nutrition, you know? Like, I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to eat lunch. And I'm going to eat this whole pizza for dinner. So I lose weight because um, the usual diet's like 1,800 to 2,000 calories for like the regular person, I think. So like I had 1,500 or whatever it was, but I got no macronutrients. I didn't do anything for myself. And at some point that day I worked out and I had nothing in my body. What is your ideal diet for someone consist of? Um, not like foods, but in terms of at what times of the day do you want me to in, take these macronutrients? What are some good sources of building muscle, staying healthy, being able to lose fat? Are you, are you an athlete or a regular person? Me? I, answer, I'm an athlete. Your answer is different for both. Well, I can almost touch your room. So oh, you're an athlete. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um so I, you know, our football players have hopefully seen it on a whiteboard that I wrote up there um a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But there's you gotta have breakfast, first of all. Right. Right. Um you wanna have a high protein breakfast, mm-hmm. but everything is gotta be timed around when you're training during the day, you know, and by training, that could be a weight room session, that could be practice, that could be a game, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to eat differently. You know, let's say, you know, we'll just keep talking about, you know, football because that's that's the upcoming season. Um, right. You know, so a typical football day when school is in, right, we have weight room time in the morning and then practice after school. Right. All right. So they've got to have – a breakfast before school that has about, you know, optimally it would, it would have uh, 0.2 grams of protein mm-hmm. per pound of body weight mm-hmm. with a high glycemic carb, right? Low fat. Mm-hmm. And then that will give them the energy during their workout to transport the, for their body to transport the protein molecules to the muscles that, that need it for the workout. Right. Okay? Yeah, during the workout, your muscle fibers tear. Your body's got to re, you know, uh, rebuild those muscle fibers and you know stronger and add more muscle fibers uh, depending on the kind of workout that you're doing. Right. So your body's going to be depleted by the time the workout's over. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the workout's over, then you're going to up the protein to about 0.4 grams per pound of body weight mm-hmm. and have high glycemic carbs again, low fat, right? And then. Right. Uh, the the optimal uh, athlete's going to have, you know, six food intakes per day. I, you know, in, in nutrition, they call it meals. Right. But, you know, if you just eat a protein bar, that would count. Like, any time that you ingest some sort of food would, would count for that. So, you mm-hmm. want to have you know, six food intakes per day. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to have fat around a workout. Right. You, know, you want to have your carbs higher. Um, so high glycemic, uh, you know, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with white bread would be ideal for it because you're getting your high glycemic carb you're getting and you're getting your protein in there. Mm-hmm. Is this the secret? Is this how you get players who come in as freshmen who look like your little son, Alex, and when they're seniors, they look like Hugh Jackman when they're in Logan? Is this how you do it? Uh, you know, puberty kind of helps a little bit too. Okay. Uh, you know, there's no magic pill with it. I wish there was. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, if you if you want to build muscle mass, that's that's the ideal way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you know up up the fats and proteins one more time uh, before you go to bed, and because mm-hmm. and, your body restores when when it's asleep. Right. 
I feel like nutrition is a really taken for granted thing because it's just like, it's just what you eat. And for the majority of people, you're not like morbidly obese or anything. So you don't even think about it. And then when you start to think about it, when you start to look at it, you're like, wow, I have like 4,000 calories a day. And it's tough to cut it down when you think about it. And for me, like I'm an extremely picky eater, but what helps is you find certain things that you like. And then over time, your body starts to like reject fast food, not like throw up, but like, I don't feel as good as if I don't have steak or if I don't drink this protein shake. I mean, and, and that goes, that goes to the whole thing of, you know, when people say, well, what's, what's the best diet for losing weight or what's the best diet for gaining weight, mm-hmm. you know, or even what's the best workout, right? right. There, there is no best, you know, the best is really going to just be, what can you actually stick with? All right. Right. So that, you know, when we were talking about the CrossFit thing earlier, you know, if, if, if you want to lose weight and that's the workout that you're going to stick with, because you're not going to stick with, you know, the optimal plan, which is going to be really boring. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't want to stick with the boring plan either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then the one that's going to keep you going is, is going to be the best, you know, same right. thing with, if, you know, for an athlete, keto is not the most optimal plan, right? Mm-hmm. But if that's the only thing that you're going to stick with and you need to trim some fat mm-hmm. and get you to do it any other way, well, then that keto would be the best. Right. Okay. So you are entering your fourth year at Walton. So you come in your first year, you're exclusively with football, right? And over the years, you've kind of, you've grown every single year. What has it been like being at Walton for you? What has that meant for you? Uh, I mean, honestly, it's pretty cool because this past school year was the first year that my mom hasn't actually taught at Walton since it opened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, both my wife and I both graduated from Walton in in 99. Mm -hmm. That's how old I am now. Um, you know, so coming back and, and, you know, being able to help the sports programs at the school that I played at, you know, graduated at is, is pretty cool. You know, I mean, and as a player, you know, I've got memories in that stadium, in the football stadium. Right. And now being able to make them as a, you know, as a coach is, is it's special. Right. And I feel like, again, a lot of coaches um, are satisfied just keeping it where they at they're comfortable they're not and you can't you are only with the football program like I said and you've expanded it to where you're working with for the most part every single sport there are a few sports that don't even lift weight so it's not even like a comparable you can't even really include them but for the most part you're working with every single sport what drove you to not want to just stay content with where you're at but to grow into the make it grow into this thing where it's like you've got this program now and you've got these kids that work out with you and they seek your advice and they look up to you what's that been like for you um i mean for me it's it's been a lot of fun um you know i think it's been more stressful on my wife than anything right Uh, i I owned a successful gym Mm -hmm. and you know, I, 
I opened the gym with, you know, the intention of, of training athletes, but that's not a very good business model, right? right? Just train athletes. You have to also train the general public. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to pay your rent and pay your staff and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so I had to do that. And, you know, it's when I opened, when I opened the gym, I thought that was going to be the last, you know, the last job that I had, like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I planned on that taking me till retirement. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I'd reached out to coach Bruner, um, just about helping with weightlifting. Cause at the time I was lifting on, on team USA, um, mm-hmm. weightlifting and I was a level two coach. I am a level two coach, um, with USA weightlifting and they were starting a high school program. Right. So I reached out to coach Bruner with that. And, um, you know, he was, he was cool enough to say, yeah, come in, you know, let's, let's talk, let's, you know, talk about what you can do with us. Mm-hmm. And so I was coming in once a week and it turned out it was going to be on Wednesdays, um, you know, just working only on the cleans mm-hmm. with, with the team. And after a couple of months of just doing that, like that was the, that was the day of the week that I was looking forward to the most, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I know that, you know, I was, were before like every day when I went in to, to coach at my gym, I was excited to go. And I started noticing that, you know, when I was le- driving from Walton to go back to the gym, I was like, oh, shoot, I like, this isn't really what I want to be doing. Like I'd rather be there coaching the kids. Right. Um, you know, so just as, as I guess, as he got to know me as a coach and stuff, you know, he started, you know, giving me more and more responsibility with the team. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then that expanded to Coach Abney asking me to work with the basketball team, um, which, you know, then I was in, in the weight room, you know, baseball lifted in between football and basketball. So then, you know, Coach Amos let me start working with baseball players and, you know, just kind of snowballed mm-hmm. uh, from there. Athletes are a really powerful thing, I think. And I think that's shown in all of our lives, whether you're a regular person or not, being an athlete is like the perfect business model because like I said before with individual people it's like you're an entrepreneur you're one person so anything you do is going to get you closer to your goal nothing can really hurt you until you achieve the goal okay you get the six-pack and then you eat donuts every morning um but as an athlete like I said the standard is just you got to get here or you fail and not only do you fail yourself, you're failing everyone on the team because they're all counting on you. So that makes them uh, inherently a family, which is a really powerful thing to see. And it's again, why I think athletics are so important and so amazing that like they literally change the course of your life. Um, and, and for me, I mean, like that's, I mean, you basically hit the nail on the head. That's, that's why, that's why I closed the doors to my gym to be able to be at Walton all day. Right. Right. Because while, you know, I was, I was training people and, and, you know, they were, they were getting closer to their goals. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the same because they weren't as appreciative, you know, of the results. Right. Right. As we talked about before, if your goal is to lose weight and you do half of your workout, you're still working towards that goal, Mm -hmm. you know, but if, you know, if I, you know, and I mean, it takes me for each sport to program out a week. It takes me about an hour's worth of work. Right. Per week. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and we're, you know, the athletes, if let's say they skip a couple reps on their, you know, on their accessory work, mm-hmm. you know, they're let they're they're not working towards their goal then they're actually working against their goal and and you know and against the team's goal mm-hmm. and so like there's you know they're more appreciative of the effort and time put into to programming those workouts to the point that they're going to make sure that they finish them um not just because of the program but because they know that it's going to help them get to their goal right and the ultimate goal I feel like their result is bigger. Like for a regular person, like, okay, you can, you can do this, but you can't apply it. Like this, like if you do this as an athlete, you're going to win a football game. Right. Like you're going to make a three, make the three pointer that wins it. Um, more tangible. Right. It's way more tangible. And once you get a taste of that success, it motivates them even more. And I feel like in the Walton community, that's why you have these kids doing multiple things a day the bigger thing you know from you know you know the sports performance side or the strength coach side you know it's injury prevention too Mm -hmm. because a really well written program you know strength program is is gonna have a big role in injury prevention right Mm -hmm. and to be able to do that you've got to know the sport and the mechanics of the sport Mm -hmm. and to me, that's really fun to be able to include that because in, you know, just in a fitness program, you're not going to have that mm-hmm. because, you know, in a fitness program, you're not having somebody, you know, make a 90 degree cut at, you know, full speed. Right. Right. Where as a coach, it's a lot more fun to, to work with athletes because you actually get to use like the full knowledge that you've got. Right. And another thing I want to touch on recently you started the Walton strength and conditioning program. And I don't think it really resonated with a ton of people. And even when I looked at it the first time, it's like, okay, well, he just started this Twitter account, right? He's just going to put all this stuff on it. And it was kind of like, why is he not putting that? But it is, you are actually starting a program and you're not content with being the one guy, which I think is really cool about how you know this isn't about you it's about the athletes it's about empowering the athletes and the more people that you can give the knowledge to you can empower that many more athletes you can have that much more effect on it you're bringing in interns now can you talk just tell me about the walton strength and conditioning program why you wanted to start it why you felt it was important to start it i mean i i think like i mean my profession it's it's in a point where there's not a lot of opportunities Uh in it is you have a finite number of sports performance jobs, right? Uh There's only so many college programs. There's only so many professional sports programs Uh and most high schools don't have a certified strength coach Uh in the program, right? Most high schools, it's a PE coach that runs the weight room or Uh a sport coach runs, runs the weight room. You know, so there's, there's just not a lot of job opportunities out there uh-huh. and being able to give back to the younger coaches, you know, that want to learn, being able to give back to them and basically like bring them up in a, in a program that does things the right way from top to bottom. Right. Uh-huh. You know, I think that's very valuable because as a profession, we're going to grow, you know, 
by having quality coaches. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you see on Twitter, there's there's so much bad stuff out there. Right. right? You know, I'm not gonna, you know, on Twitter, I might call people out. Um, yeah. You know, like you know, on the podcast, I'm not gonna call anybody out. Right. You know, there, there was a there was a program in another state mm-hmm. that on the first day back after quarantine, they mm-hmm. did a workout called Murph. It's tough. Right? I've done it. Yeah. I mean, I've done that. I've done that workout. Like it sucks. Yeah, it's it's not fun. You know, and for people that don't know it, it's you run a mile, which we already talked about for football. Mm-hmm. You run a mile. You do 100 pull-ups, you do 200 push-ups, 300 bodyweight squats, and you run another mile, right? Um, you know, most people, it's going to take over an hour to do it. Mm-hmm. And that was the test that this coach decided to put his football team through mm-hmm. to see who had been doing any kind of training over, over the quarantine, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I'm looking at that, and a group of us that have been doing this for a long time, um, you know, talk – on a, you know, on a very regular basis, you know, there are coaches in other states and a couple coaches in Georgia, um, you know, and, and we really got upset with that, you know, right. and that's one of the most dangerous things and, you know, a, an extreme example of it. But we're like, you know, what can we do as, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the older crowd in this profession, what can we do to try to educate the younger, the younger coaches and the coaches at schools that don't have a qualified coach running their weight, their, their strength program. Right. Mm-hmm. What can we do to help, help basically solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that in a couple of schools do internships and that, that was one thing that I had been thinking about. And just by chance in the past, you know, month or so, I've had a few people reach out, um, about internships because a lot of the colleges aren't doing them right now, mm-hmm. you know, um, so like one of our interns is actually, she's coming down from Harvard. She was going to be interning with Harvard's football team this fall. But since the Ivy League canceled their season, you know, she was looking for somewhere else to get some experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so having another set of eyes that, you know, they've gone through the schooling for it. They just don't have the actual floor experience. Right. You know, you know why would we not, why would we not say yes to that when mm-hmm. we're able to do it? And, and, you know, and help somebody else out with their career. Well, that example um, that you gave is almost, it's really sad. Um, and not just because of that. I saw that and it, thankfully no one that, to my knowledge, I have no idea, got hurt. Um, but there was a kid, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that died this summer. Not in that work, yeah, not in that workout, but in a separate one. Yeah, two kids within within the first week back. Uh, one was in Mississippi and one was in Kentucky. Yeah, which is just so sad because that example you gave, even though no one died, that's like being a teacher and giving a pop quiz. The difference is, though, that when you give a pop quiz, that's not strain on the body. That's like, did you do your work? Like, did you do your homework? That it's a big difference between giving them a high intensity workout on their first day back. And it's also not going to benefit them. Right. And I mean, you know, I will say like that coach that did that, I mean, he honestly did not know better. He, right. he sent me a, uh, he sent me a uh, DM on Twitter after mm-hmm. I lit him up on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, trying to justify why he did that. Mm-hmm. And, 
when I brought up the fact that, okay, you know what? You got lucky that nobody got hurt with this, mm-hmm. you know, but were you going to have any productive workouts next week or even the remaining part of this week? Right. Because now kids are going to be so sore and mm-hmm. so beat up. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to do anything productive for mm-hmm. the next you and know, that goes back to the thing you're, you're talking already, about. Short, yeah, you're already on a short preseason. Mm-hmm. Now you just you just shortened it for yourself even more. Right. Like you put yourself at a big disadvantage. And mm-hmm. for what? To see if the kids have been working out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot better ways to, to figure that out than than putting them through through a test. Right? Well, we haven't done any kind of testing with, with our kids. Right. And it's been back for a while now because it's still not an appropriate time to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what's gonna, I feel like. That, that's what makes me nervous about sports opening back up is less the COVID. Cause like when, like you said, when you eliminate 3000 people in the vicinity, like that is, that doesn't make like, so the odds that they get COVID go way down, but people need to be smart about, Hey, bringing the athletes back. Right. Not testing them out on their first day back or the first week back, or even the fourth week back. Um, and, uh, that's why we're so fortunate to have you. Thank you for coming on coach Chris. This was so awesome. Uh, everyone go follow him on Twitter, coach Chris underscore. You can't tag him in any photos. We found that out, but thank you so much for coming on and we look forward to seeing you in all of Walton athletics this year.